Hello, Makers and Minnesota friends and fans. We have a whiskey dinner coming up featuring Keeper's Heart Whiskey made right here in Minneapolis at the O'Shaughnessy Distilling Company. Started by cousins and lifelong friends Patrick and Michael O'Shaughnessy, they both had a vision to make whiskeys worthy of their rich Irish-American heritage. Helmed by world-renowned master distiller Brian Nation, they set about building a state-of-the-art distillery in Minneapolis to produce world-class whiskeys and serve as a source of pride for their Irish community. At their distillery, the magic of whiskey making begins with three triple copper pots, where they make American whiskey in the traditional Irish triple distillation style. Their flagship offering, Keeper's Heart Irish American Whiskey, is the first whiskey to blend the very best of Irish and American distilling traditions to deliver a truly unique and remarkable taste experience. At this dinner, you'll taste each of the components that make up Keeper's Heart Irish Whiskey, paired with food courses prepared by Nick O'Leary, the Lexington's heralded chef. Like Makers of Minnesota's dinners in the past, I'll be hosting, but we'll be joined by O'Shaughnessy Distillery's master distiller, Brian Nation, who will walk us through each course and help us appreciate this American-Irish whiskey made right here in Minnesota. So join us February 15th at the Lexington for a post-Valentine's Day celebration with Keeper's Heart American Whiskey. We'll be the exclusive diners in the restaurant for the evening, and you'll mingle with me and toast your fellow whiskey lovers. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special night, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for their Makers of Minnesota Keeper's Heart Whiskey Dinner and Tasting on February 15th. Again, get your tickets now at thelexmn.com. and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And I'm here today with Jana Rosbach, and she is the owner and founder of something that's called Mixly Cocktail Mixers. And I'm excited to have her on. I was like, dry January, we got to get you on because so many people are looking for alcohol-free alternatives. And your product is the perfect mix because if you're someone that wants to have a drink, you can throw a little rum or vodka or gin or whatever your spirit of choice is into the Mixly cocktail mixer. But if you are someone that wants a mocktail, they're delicious on their own too. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Stephanie. So happy to be here. Yeah, I've been like telling everyone about your products. I don't know if anyone tells you this. <laughs> they do. And it's, I so appreciate it. I mean, I think it's obviously word of mouth that helps a small brand like us, you know, kind of get jump started. But I really do believe with Mixly, it is tasting to believing. Um, and that's been huge for us. Once you taste Mixly and you think about maybe other mixers you've had um, or other kind of at-home cocktail solutions, you really will believe that we are something totally unique um, and different than what's on the shelf now. Yeah. And it's, so there are other cocktail mixes. There are other tonics and elixirs and those kind of things. What struck me about your product was, first of all, it arrived kind of unsolicited, which it always intrigues me. So I opened up the box and right away, like the packaging was really professional looking. And I was like, oh, this person knows what they're doing in this space. And then like the taste of it was much 
improved over many things I had had like it in the previous two years. I think a lot of people wanted to get into this space, but then they couldn't figure out how to make the product that was shelf stable, that tastes good. So I'm dying to get your backstory. Tell me how you took this journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, it all started, it started about, I'd say two, three years ago. And my co-founder Megan was also on my team. We worked together at another local CPG company and we were just dreaming of doing our own thing. And what happened is, is she comes, she loves cocktails and she's a little bit younger. So she has all the time in the world to make all these fancy cocktails. And I'm like, I love cocktails, but I have two kiddos and I have no time to make, you know, fresh squeezed juices. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And so it came from like a passion of wanting to do business better um, and, you know, started our own company where we're values led, um, but then also create like an amazing product in a category where it was just missing like something. Um, I think the category was missing, was missing taste. You know, there's a lot of just kind of gunk out there. And that's partially because too of the ingredients, like a lot of artificial ingredients, a lot of sugar, um, a lot of, you know, juices from concentrate. And so we really, you know, we, we started exploring, I'd say, we say, you know, we talk about tinkering, like we tinkered for a few years to get this right, brought in our, um, our other business partner, um, Stuart, who was a mixologist and we played with things. And what we found is like, it's really about the quality, especially lime. Like you don't think about how important lime juice is. It makes all the difference between something that is like the right citrus flavor versus something that comes across as bitter. Um, and so that was key. Um, and then the other piece too, that makes us unique is the honey. So we, we, honey is just outside of being, you know, I think more people are looking at honey as a sugar alternative, but it just adds like a more subtle sweetness. It, it rounded out the flavors in a nice way where the sugar, you know, can sometimes linger, so honey is also a big difference, but I, I will say the number one thing that separates us from the rest of the products on the shelf is our juice content. So most mixers you'll find range anywhere from like 20 to 40% juice. All of our products are 50 to 80%. So that's, you know, when you taste Mixly, you'll see right away, it's a full flavor experience. Obviously it's meant to be diluted with whether you're adding alcohol or, um, you know, or soda water to make it a mocktail, but that's, you know, when you go to a bar, like that's the experience you get, you get more juice, um, you know, from a, a great bar who knows what they're doing and they're squeezing things themselves. And so that's what we tried to that's what we try to create in a bottle, a craft cocktail experience that you can bring home. Um, and to your point too, about, you know, the versatility, that was also key. We, we talk about, you know, being, everyone's invited to the Mixly party. Yep. Um, and so we wanted people, whether you drank or did it, we had a product for you and whether you liked vodka or tequila or whiskey, we have something for you. So, and you have, I think you have, is it five now? So we actually have six flavors, seven, including our strawberry rhubarb, which we, um, we put on hold over the winter season. Um, but yeah, and then we will be launching new flavors in spring and summer. So do you think you'll have some seasonal types of, cause I would say yeah. strawberry rhubarb is so Minnesotan, but also yeah. so seasonal. Yes. Yeah, no, it is. Um, we, we definitely want to play into the seasonality of it. And my vision for the brand is really to become like the Ben and Jerry's of the mixer aisle where 
we become a place of flavor exploration and you know, we're going to have like, what's their next flavor or what's the thing that they're going to do. So that's our vision. So you say you worked in a CPG company. Did you work at General Mills? No, I didn't. I worked at Jack Link's. Okay. You worked at Jack Link's. You're, I could tell right away when I saw this product that you were someone from that, from that industry, because Mm -hmm. no offense to people that aren't, but UCPG folks kind of hit the ground running in terms of packaging. And I just, it's very beautifully done. Your labels are great. The ingredients are really clean too, which I also really appreciated. And I think maybe this is sexist, but I think a lot of women are probably your target. So we look at labels and we study these kind of things. So I felt like that was really intentional and really smart too. So you're made in Minnesota you get together with your friend and your mixologist and like, how did you have like a pile of money sitting there when you decided to quit your job or like, what was that progression like? Uh, no, well, I wouldn't say, you know, a big pile of money. We obviously, you know, we're self-funded at this point. Um, we are self-funded. Um, and, and part of what's been great is where I bring the CPG marketing background. So that's been my whole career has been in CPG you know, marketing and, and PR. Then Megan, my business partner, our other co-founder, she's the graph. She created Mixly. That's her work all herself. And so she has the graphic design background. Then obviously Stuart, you know, had, came with the, the actual, the technical skills. And so we've just together, I think where other startups, you know, where I, I, I feel for them is they're having to pull in that expertise somehow, whether, and you know, whether that's giving away equity or finding capital, we were able to kind of have that just internally with us three. So that was a huge help. Um, and then, you know, I'd say as, so, like I said, so far we've been self-funded. Um, I certainly think coming from my background, um, in marketing, you know, able to tap into former colleagues, people I know. Um, but I will say at this point, we are still part-time. So we all still have our day jobs. I was just um, going to ask you that. Yeah. So we're trying to hold on to them for as long as we can, but it's going to change next year for sure. Things are heating up in terms of like, you know, um, our retail side and where we're growing and um, it'll really help not even so service the growth we, growth we have, but then help further growth. So, um, do you, who's doing sales? So right. Us, (laughs) me, um, walking into other, you know, walking into liquor stores on my lunch break. Um, but we are bringing on a distributor. We're looking to bring on a distributor partner. And we're also looking at a spring test or sorry, summer test, um, with target. So knock on wood, you know, those two things will help really give us scale. Um, but sales, that was not, that is one area where none of us had a background. And so you really, I just had to figure it out myself. And it is like, I mean, you can email and call people all day, but every time I've nailed a sale, it's because I physically walked in, asked to talk to the manager, gave them my pitch, brought product and refused to leave until they put it on the shelf. Well, and the other weird thing or not weird thing, but so first of all, everybody quits their job six months too early. So just yeah. know that is you're planning your time frame. <laughs> but secondarily, bringing on a distributor partner, because that's got to be kind of challenging, because are you a grocery product? Are you a liquor store product? Like, are, am I going to find you on my Kowalski shelf? Or am I going to find you on my Certic shelf? And you're in a bottle, 
would you ever be like in a can? Because obviously canned things are really popular too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are all great questions. I think when it comes to where we show up, I do think we're being very strategic in where we get placed, obviously focusing on liquor stores, but not just any liquor. We don't want to land anywhere. The mixer category is very tired and our target consumer hasn't shopped the mixer category in a very long time. And you're correct. It is mostly, you know, women that we're, that we're targeting. And so we need to let them know that there's something there for them. So we are going to be looking at the retailers where obviously they have higher standards of what's in their store. They're going to be open to merchandising us correctly and not just putting us, you know, a lot of stores, the mixer aisles in the back of the store, yeah. you would never even know it's there. There's no profit so, margin there. So they hide it. They, they do. They do. And that's part of our strategy too, is like working with the retailers who are going to um, partner with us and changing that. Now there's, you know, the, one of the first places that took us in was France 44. And what I love about France 44 is they, they're, they know what they're doing with their mixer category. It's on your way to the checkout. And so it's kind of that impulse purchase, like, oh, maybe I'll grab this, or I never thought about that. So it's a great place to explore while people are waiting and they just have a great variety. So I I kind of, you know, as I go in and speak with other retailers, I'm trying to get them to just think differently to about this category too, because it's not even just about getting us, but how do I help them see the category differently and overall be more successful? Um, Um, When you look at well, like you're probably familiar with a company called Summer Lakes Beverage that has mm-hmm. the fresh juice yep. margarita mixes. And I mean, they've had to like, because everything is so fresh, they have to install freezers. And I mean, they've really had to change a lot of the way that you would see a product like that come to market. You won't have to do that because you're shelf stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting to think about, like, do you think about glass being an advantage versus a can down the road. Yeah. So we've gone through, like we, we talk about this all the time. There's, you know, retailers have asked us, would you consider plastic because it's cheaper, less breakage. And that for us is just at this point, something we're not going to explore because we are a premium product. And Outside of having quality ingredients, the packaging is really key for consumers. This consumer, it adds to that premiumness um, and touching and feeling glass is obviously very different from plastic. And then in addition to like the environmental considerations, but being mindful, there is a glass shortage and so far we've been okay. But um, I think cans are something definitely um, that we would look at and whether it's the product format that exists today, or if it's other innovations where we, whether we add, right, like some carbonation to it, or if we ever do a ready to drink, you Mm -hmm. know, cocktail one day or mocktail. Um, So that's definitely something we're, we're thinking about. It's pretty crazy to think about that. Bethany Frankel was one of the first people in this category with the skinny girl margarita. And, you know, she was this real housewife that, I kind of admired her because she had this gluten-free baking mix and she was kind of a hustler. But if if you'd have told me that Bethany Frankel would have sold this company for a billion dollars, I would have died. So I feel excited for you that that's the sphere that you're in because that's pretty cool. Um, How do you get people to sample it? Because there's a lot of interest in this category, a lot of interest in ready to drink. Like, are you at farmer's markets? Are you in the stores you're in? Like, what's your sampling strategy to get women to buy this? Yeah, the 
um, farmers markets and other like Christmas markets have been huge for us. Um, cause we did just officially launch, I'd say end of June, early July. Yep. And so we got it, we did the Linden Hills farmers market for the summer. Um, we did, and then we did the Excelsior Christmas market and a few other smaller Christmas markets. And that was incredible for us. Not only again, tasting, believing that's key, but then the word of mouth, then I'm going to go tell my retailer, you know, it's just those events, um, are really their, their hard work. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're physically, you know, daunting, especially when it's the weekends and you have it, we have day jobs, but yep. they're priceless. They really are. I, it's interesting that, you know, that I was talking to someone the other day and it used to be that, you know, smaller brands would start out at like a farmer's market and it was a two to three year proposition where they'd be testing and targeting. And, and then their goal was like to get out of the farmer's market. But now because it's been so challenging with grocery and they don't have time to bring in new products, they don't have time to meet with people. People are back at the farmer's markets trying to build demand that way so that someone goes into the grocery aisle and says, Hey, you should carry this. Or have you thought about that? Yeah, absolutely. I can't, it's so interesting as, as we've, you know, gone on this journey and I've talked to, of course, many people who would like to invest in Mixly and, you know, people who are interested in whether it's being business advisors or, you know, wanting to give us their money. There's definitely, I think, a a more, there's um, a startup approach that's very much of whether it's Silicon Valley or people, you know, in New York that are like, don't do these small events, get a bunch of money and just invest, go to town, like focus on retail, focus on online. Don't waste your time with this, like go big or go home. And maybe that works for other categories or, you know, segments. But I think for us, like there's some, we have to be strategic here because we're disrupting a category. We have something that's not, you know, currently out there. We're retraining consumers and that doesn't happen overnight. Like it's truly, I think going to be a market by market, get it in people's mouths, strategically grow in retail um, and, you know, work really hard, but like, but take it slow and take it strategically. Yeah. And there's, you know, you can think of people on both sides of that coin. Like, there's a product that I won't say that someone I podcasted with in the future or in the past that's already out. You know, they kind of did that whole strategy investment people and it blew up and then it just disappeared because because they didn't have any traction and COVID yeah. came and it was just done. They didn't have anyone that wanted their product that hadn't built up that demand. Um, and then there's also people that, you know, are have gone mouth by mouth by mouth and it's gone, it's grown. And sometimes too, it grows at a pace that feels comfortable for you guys as the makers, you know, you want to be able to grow at a capacity that you can afford, that you can reinvest, that feels comfortable. Are there other makers that you look at out there that not in your space necessarily, but that you're like, wow, they're such a cool product and they really did it right. Mm. Um. Gosh, you know, I, I think a lot, I, I look back at case studies on Chobani all the time. They disrupted a category and I know that's cliche, but I really do. It's like, I, I, I like have some of the articles on their story bookmark, especially how they approached retail. Um, you know, current brands. I also really, um, admire Bev. They're another female owned business, um, yeah. wine company, Um, I've been connected with their founder and I love what they're doing. Um, 
those are the two that cop to come to mind. And I know it's so bad because there's so many amazing local makers. But that those I are great see. examples. Yeah, <laughs> those are great examples yeah. of people that really made it in the space. So um, when you think about, I don't, so you have a full-time job and I don't want to jeopardize your full-time job here. <laughs> but when you think about like um, going full-time into this, like, is it excitement? Is it fear? Is it dread? Cause it's really hard to start your own thing. And like, I remember being at home my, when I started our business and like, even like FedEx was like, wait, there isn't someone to just like hand this to that knows shipping and logistics. I know. I know it's, I think it's all of it. Like I, you know, to stay up late after my kids go to bed, to package up orders or to reply to emails, to work on weekends, like that to me, even though obviously I have mom guilt about not spending time with my kids sure. or whatever, but it, I'm so, it's so invigorating. Like it, when it's yours, there's just something about it and you're passionate about it. It's like, I'm all in and I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, it's, that's, it's exciting, but to, on the flip side, going full time means all sorts of logistical things and financial considerations that are very scary. And I've had a nice cushy corporate job, like my, you know, up to this point and startup world ain't going to be that. So it's a little bit of both. Well, and I think you're like a lot of people too, that the last two years, most people are working from home. So that has afforded a lot of flexibility. Let's be honest. Some people can do their, you know, 40 hour a week job in maybe 28 hours. And as long as you got the job done, no one knew what happened to those other 12 hours. Maybe in the past, you'd have gone and worked out at lunch and, you know, stopped at Barley's and got a salad. But now that time is spent on your hustle. So we have all these hustlers out there that are using and maximizing that time. I wonder, we're seeing so much innovation and so much more entrepreneurism. But I also wonder when people get called back to the offices, how that's going to work. I feel like we could almost see the great resignation part two of the entrepreneurs that have been busy starting their companies and the parent companies don't know. And all of a sudden you're going to get called back and be like, "Mm, by the way, I have this other business and I'm ready to do that now. The big thing I want you to think about just because I think people do not think about this is healthcare. It is such a massive expense. And for a family of four, you're looking at about $1,700 a month as a freelancer to have a plan that has a $7,500 deductible minimum. And, you know, it's $32,000 just to have healthcare. Yep. No, you're exact. That is the, that is the thing that keeps, you know, it's, that keeps me up at night with little ones and all that. So yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, it's, that is, that is the biggest factor. And in my nice court, you know, cushy corporate job, we have great benefits. Yep. Um, but when you look at the numbers, when you go, you know, um, independent, it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah, uh, you have to darn. make for a lot of people, you know, a family of four, like, Maybe your partner has benefits, but you'd have to make about 60 grand just to have insurance and childcare before you even get out of the gate. And for a lot of small businesses, you know, you wouldn't pay yourself that, or you probably wouldn't get there until at least, I mean, year two, if you're awesome, you're three, four or five, depending on what your plan is. I wish that there was, um, and maybe this is something we can create someday with the Bethany Frankel's of the world. Like I wish there would be some kind of an employment pool 
for entrepreneurs to buy in. Like, why can't we buy into the single payer plan? We're not asking for handouts. We just want to be able to provide for our families while we're starting our hustle because who makes jobs in this country? It's the small businesses. It's the medium businesses. Mm-hmm. I love that podcast. idea. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah. I am in. <laughs> Something that we could do. All right. I so as, as we're getting ready to wrap up this podcast, uh, people are doing dry January and thinking about dry January. Have you ever done a dry January? Um, no, but I feel like pregnancy was like a dry, like that was my, <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, I have not. I have not, but I know many friends who have, I know. Have you, have you, do you do one, Stephanie? I've done it. I've done, um, dry January. I've also done no November. Like mm-hmm. I'm always doing the latest fad. And usually yeah. to be honest, it's mostly because I want to just cut back on calories and the holidays can be so excessive between the cookies and the cocktails. By the time I get to January, I'm just like, oh, I'm so bloated that it's kind of a good time to do it. But I think too, it's really from a marketing perspective, it's it's created a lot of these products. Yeah, no. And that's exactly, like I said, what we had in mind was we wanted this, this had to be a mocktail. This had to be, you know, um, and whether, you know, there's the sober curious movement that's, you know, coming or that's, you know, that's very, you know, popular people are interested in that the dry January, sober October, you know, whatever it is like the consumers more and more, you know, I I forget the statistic, but it's a significant amount of consumers are exploring ways to cut back on alcohol. Um, So that was key for us. And then, you know, part of, you know, part of it too, was we were developing this when I was pregnant with my second kiddo and I wanted an option where I could still feel like I was included, you know, and and that's because that's the thing, especially when you're early on in your pregnancy. And it's like these awkward moments of where you're trying to ask for a non-alcoholic drink. And it's this great thing of you could have Mixly be at a party, make someone an alcoholic one and a non and like no one needs to know any better. Yeah, you're not like they're not going, well, we have Diet Coke. Yes, or, exactly. you know, here's a LaCroix, like yeah. it used to be when you asked for a non-alcoholic drink at a bar, they just looked at you like, why are you even here? Yeah. Yeah. I know that has but changed I, too. It, it's changing. And, and that's like too, at the farmer's markets and, you know, these, these events, I heard from so many people that were like, I've been looking for this. Um, I've been looking to cut back or I'm not drinking anymore. And the unique, what's interesting is there are obviously a lot of new non-alcoholic drinks out there, ready to drink cocktails, like a seed lip, right. Where they're almost trying to mimic the taste of alcohol. And, and maybe, you know, there's probably like a place for that. Um, but what's great about Mixly is yes, we're fruit forward, obviously, but with our flavors, like with the basil, pineapple basil, or like the cucumber, mint, lime, you don't necessarily get like all the fruitiness. We're not trying to be alcoholic beverage, but there's something unique that gives it more of that craft cocktail experience. So you don't feel like you're missing anything. Yeah, I really, they're great. I just, I think they're great. I think they taste good. I think they look great. I think they're easy to drink with alcohol or without. So, I mean, I loved them when you sent me that box right away. I was like, Oh, this is a winner. I loved it. Thank you so much. That means so much coming from you. Oh yeah, absolutely. You guys got a winner on your hand. It's just a matter of how you bring it out to market and how, mm-hmm. you know, much you can get in investment and how much energy you have around it. So it's really fun to talk to you. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Yeah. Happy holidays and happy dry January, sober January, or just 
January and yeah. make yourself a drink. Yeah. If you feel like it, everyone can do what works for them these days. Right. I love it. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you, Stephanie. Bye-bye. Bye.